I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. In a crime that would shock a California community and the nation, the murder of eight-year-old Sandra Cantu was pretty quickly solved. But the suspect who emerged was the most unlikely of suspects and left everyone asking why. This is Episode 11, The Melissa Huckabee Story. Hi, Amy. Hi, Megan. How are you today? Very well. How are you? I'm good. So usually we say we're excited about our cases. This one is not one I picked because I'm excited about it. This one, though, I should tell you, is one I picked because I really, really want us to dig in using our criminologist roots. This is a case in which we're going to look very closely and take apart the causes of crime or motivations. And so that's why I picked this episode today. I think it's really important. 28-year-old mother, Melissa Huckabee, lived in Orchard Estates Mobile Home Park in Tracy, California. Tracy, California is located in San Joaquin County. I think it's about an hour south of Sacramento and an hour east of Oakland. Tracy is often referred to as the Triangle because of its location inside three major highways and the way these highways framed it. So this town is backed up against, you have to picture this as part of maybe the story later against these major highways. Okay. So Melissa Huckabee lived in a mobile home with her then five-year-old daughter in 2009. Huckabee had grown up in Orange County, California with her parents, with two younger brothers and a younger sister who was adopted when Melissa was a bit older. 
Uh, Melissa was in high school at the time and reportedly Melissa was almost like a second mother to the little girl, very doting and very loving. Melissa reportedly had a normal childhood, but had periods of depression. And according to one report, Huckabee had told her friends that she was raped by a police officer at age 18. And after a brief investigation by the Orange County Police Department, the officer was found not guilty of any sexual charges. So he was completely exonerated. Melissa's father and other family members said that Melissa had a very difficult time after high school and was very depressed at times. So that would also coincide with her version of events, which we'll get into later. Huckabee moved around in California a lot in her early 20s, but she eventually settled in Tracy near her grandparents and their church. So her grandfather was actually the pastor of this church, and she lived with her grandparents. There's more to her background that I'd like to discuss, though, Amy, and I'm going to ask in this episode, like I had mentioned, that we really draw on our criminological training to assess Huckabee's actions. So let's get into a little bit more about her background. Melissa met a man in Tracy who became a boyfriend, but their relationship did not last long and she wound up filing a restraining order against him. After that relationship, she met Johnny Huckabee. So he would later father their daughter Madison and the two would get married, but theirs would also be a very brief marriage. And Melissa would, after they split, she would accuse him of being an alcoholic who was physically abusive. She accused him of child, attempted child abduction of their daughter. He denies any such charges, and I'll tell you what he had to say later on. But Melissa was granted full custody of their daughter, Madison, and he really did not see her very much after the divorce was finalized. So from about 2005 on, he really wasn't a steady part of his daughter's life. Shortly before their marriage, before Melissa and Johnny married, Melissa had filed for bankruptcy. So Melissa was not financially sound. And after her divorce, she moved to L.A. County, but she was arrested for petty theft in 2006 and quickly returned to Tracy following this arrest, where she taught part-time Sunday school for her grandfather's church and spent most of her time with her daughter, which is why she lived with her grandparents. How Melissa, old was the daughter? Sorry. The daughter at that time was about, uh, well, in 2009, the daughter was five. So okay, in 2006, uh-huh, I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're not, I'm not good no, at no, math. No. Little. Melissa had trouble keeping a steady job for sure. And then in January 2009, Huckabee was arrested again for theft for trying to steal something from a local target. She pleaded guilty and was given probation. But as a condition of the plea, she had to meet with a caseworker from a mental health court who would report on Melissa's progress. But things went downhill pretty quickly after that. And so now what you're also seeing is that Melissa has, she has a history of depression, and we'll get into that a little bit more. She has criminal charges, though they're, they're petty thefts. She has unstable relationships, certainly with men. And she has a history of moving around a lot, so unstable residence and unsteady jobs. So this is part of the picture I think we, we need to understand mm-hmm. what happened. Things went downhill after this arrest. And another mother who lived in the Orchard Estates mobile home park. Laura Polk reported Melissa to the police after Melissa took her then seven-year-old daughter for the day. Melissa took the seven-year-old girl without the mother's permission, and she returned her at the end of the day, and the girl was seemingly very drowsy and almost high, as they described her on some type of substance. The girl said... Wait, did she report her missing? or like? 
So she did not report her missing. Uh, the girls, the kids went out and played. You know, maybe she was getting a little bit worried about her. Okay. It, I almost want to say that she maybe knew the girl was with Huckabee for a short amount of time, gotcha. but was supposed to come back earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so she took her for mm-hmm. longer than she should have. The girl said that Melissa took her to a Wendy's, got her a drink that tasted funny, and then they went to some parks like through the course of the day, and that was all she could remember. Laura Polk took her daughter to the hospital. Because she, later on in the day, actually, she said her daughter just was not doing well. Like, she wasn't holding up well, and she was seemingly so drowsy. Mm -hmm. She was like, let me see what's going on. And they found muscle relaxants in her system. So Laura Polk went to the police, but they didn't believe her. They actually thought that she might have done something to her daughter herself because she had a history of drug use, and she had a file with Child Protective Services. Mm. So they really didn't investigate Melissa. The police have since apologized to Laura Polk, but talk about a missed opportunity because just a few months later, this mistake would have really devastating consequences. Here's what happened. On March 27th, 2009, eight-year-old Sandra Cantu, last seen on a surveillance video skipping through the mobile home park where she lived, the same one where Mm -hmm. Melissa Huckabee lived, was seen for the last time alive. And Sandra was coming home after a school day. And usually Sandra would look for kids to play with. And I think it was, they even said she came home after school, played with some kid for a little bit, and then came back and was seen skipping at about 3.54 p.m., very close to 4 p.m. And all of a sudden, they can tell, they they pretty quickly Uh determined that Melissa Huckabee uh, lured Sandra over and kind of got her to go Mm -hmm. in her car. And the two left a few minutes later in Melissa's car, which was captured on surveillance. Did they know each other, Melissa and Sandra? Yes. So now that's the question. Why would Sandra get in a car with a stranger? She wasn't. Sandra knew Melissa very well. She actually played with Melissa's younger daughter. So it makes sense that she Mm -hmm. would trust her. And I hate to say it, but as we talk about the gendered lens, she's a woman. So Sandra is going to be more trusting, Mm -hmm. I would think, of her in terms of getting into her car. Melissa took Sandra to the church where she taught and where her grandfather Mm -hmm. was a pastor, and she gave her Xanax. What? Yep. She gave her Xanax, likely incapacitating her, and then she sexually assaulted the girl with an object, which we'll talk about later, and she murdered her shortly after Yes, she murdered her with... Well, that escalated quickly. It's And I'm going to talk about the timeline and how relevant this timeline is as well. She murdered her by, they called it homicidal asphyxiation. And it was, she murdered her with a noose-tied cloth. She basically strangled her with a cloth. So she sexually assaults and then murders the girl in the church where her grandfather is a pastor. Was anyone in the church at the time? I don't think so. No, no it I was don't like after so. hours. Yeah, it was, a, it was a weekday too. It wasn't yeah. your typical church time. Melissa then, from the church, she calls the property manager at Orchard Estates, where she lives, and she reports that her Eddie Bauer suitcase was stolen from her front yard. And this would come to play a very big role in the case going forward. So she's calling, presumably with a timeline, right after she's murdered Cantu, mm-hmm. and reporting her suitcase is stolen. She was then spotted by a couple, I think he was a former Marine and his wife, shortly before 6 p.m., at the irrigation pond where she had just thrown Sandra Cantu's body in, in the suitcase. In the suitcase. Jeez. Okay. So she's spotted by a couple. She's just coming out of like the bushes, I think mm-hmm. it was. And I mean, she must have been panicking at this point. The couple kind of says to her, what are you doing? And she says, I'm so sorry. I just stopped. You know, I had to pee. And an irrigation pond is also like a kind of a swampy, you know, it's where plants are. And it's it. it they described a smell. Um, so it's not a nice place anyway. To sum this part up, Melissa committed this violent crime in a approximately two to three hours and likely more like two to two and a half hours, which actually makes sense, though, according to statistics, 
because when a stranger abducts a child, they are usually killed within the first three hours. Mm -hmm. And so Sandra was dead before her mother even reported her missing. Mm, So there was no chance here. Now you're saying, what, what? (laughs) We can also, uh, I can also attest from teaching and, and Amy probably knows as well, First of all, stranger abductions are not common. People nope. tend to think there's this mm-hmm. idea of stranger danger. It's usually someone you know, someone yeah. you know, mm-hmm. a parent, an acquaintance. And an abduction by a female mother to a female child and a sexual assault and murder. This is almost this is so rare. This is probably the rarest of all types of homicide against children. Honestly, I can't think of another example. I can't think of another example nope. either where something like this happened. No. When mothers kill, and mothers, it's not to say that a mother would not kill a child because mm-hmm. they do kill their of children. Course. But it's usually their own children and there are usually reasons why they And sexually assaulting another child? Uh, the sexual assault we'll A woman to. sexually assaulting a young girl is very rare in itself. So it's very rare. And usually when it does happen, it's not normal to happen. When it does happen, it's usually with or at the behest of a male partner. Mm-hmm. Like in, uh, what's her name's case? Uh... Carla Homolka. Yes, right. Carla Homolka. Right, yep. exactly. So mm-hmm. that's a good reference and a perfect point. So that is the crime laid out. The police and FBI were really quick to intervene, as did the entire community. They were searching, you know, within hours. Now, unfortunately, as I've just told you, the sad part of that is that we know is that Sandra Cantu was already dead. Mm-hmm. Melissa didn't do herself any favors, though, okay? She was the first person to provide the police with a tip. So she found a note where they lived, and this was... This was hours after the murder. Um, I I found one account that said the next day. So I'm not sure if it was the next morning or, Mm -hmm. you know, that night. But shortly after, she finds a note, she says. Basically, it said, Sandra Cantu was locked in a stolen suitcase and thrown in water on Bacchetti and Whitehall Roads. Witness. Wait. (laughs) It's like someone, I know, this is so bizarre. Wait, but that's also what she did, suitcase and water. Yes. Why would she be, she, And the, I guess it, she wanted the body to be found. Okay, so yeah. this is question. And the, the location is exact, but okay. she spelled stolen wrong. She spelled stolen, S-T-O-L-I-N, almost like she was trying to spell incorrectly. Maybe she just can't spell. I don't think so. Okay. I think she was trying to spell it incorrectly, but the police go to the location and they find Sandra in the suitcase, the very suitcase that Melissa reported missing. Sandra was found in a fetal position wearing the clothes she was last seen in on that video surveillance. Yeah, it's awful, really Mm -hmm. awful. They found uh, a benzo drug in Sandra's system. Mm -hmm. And so the medical examiner determined that the cause of death was homicidal asphyxiation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was also the finding by the medical examiner that Sandra was sexually assaulted. And I won't go too deep into that, just to say that there was DNA and there were contusions to the genitals. So there's more evidence. The couple calls into the police department explaining that they had seen Melissa Huckabee at this location with her car. They recognized her because it, Mm -hmm. it just happened. And, you know, they told the story that she gave, which, oh, I was just stopping for a bathroom break. So police get a warrant to search the church where Melissa teaches because Melissa's now coming up as someone's just odd. Mm -hmm. And they don't actually think at this point that she's killed Sandra because their profile shows something very different. It's going to be a male, a Mm -hmm. sexual predator. And they talk about their profile, you know, between 25 and 40. Mm -hmm. But they feel like it's odd that she's inserting herself into this investigation. Did they search her trailer too or they went straight to the church? So they went to the church Mm -hmm. and they, uh, this was right now. So they... Go to the church and they find a cut up cord from the blinds. So I guess she cut the blinds and used the cord to tie the suitcases to wrap it around. Mm. They also found blood spatter 
And they found the rolling pin that I just talked about, which had Sandra's uh, DNA on it. Jeez. When they go to Melissa's home now, they now they're looking for yeah. an interview, okay? And they were going to ask her for an interview and to take a polygraph. So the police find out that Melissa's not at home. She's in the hospital because she has swallowed a bunch of small razor blades. Oh, so she attempt- tried to kill herself. In an attempt clearly to kill herself. So now they're going, whoa, this woman is... How do you swallow razor blades? You know, I don't... No, there are those, I think those, what are they called? I don't know what they're called. They're like the tiny ones. Why wouldn't you just take pills or something? I have no idea. I often wonder about why someone, you know what I mean? Like Clearly something's not right. Oh, mentally. no, clearly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And there's definite. And I already said that she was diagnosed with mental health issues. Now they're looking at, into Melissa's history and they find out that she's got previous convictions. Mm-hmm. She has mental health issues. But no violent offenses. She does not have any violent offenses. This is very true. Mm-hmm. So she's not a violent offender. But she does have, they find, she's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and she's been mandated to court therapy. They find out about this other woman who, uh, you know, had her daughter. Her daughter was taken and at some point, you know, had something slipped in her drink. It's also reported by an ex-boyfriend of Melissa's that she drugged him once as well, for which he was arrested for a DUI. So it was, and, and it was discovered that he had a Xanax in his system. So, oh, and he wasn't drunk. It was no, just no. Oh. So he, I guess, and I'm not sure what the conditions are uh, before, but he left her home at one point after spending time with her, and this was not that far in advance of Sandra's murder. Just so you know, you know, maybe within six to nine months, and he wound up somehow in like a McDonald's parking lot, pulled over, totally passed out, and maybe he was even like near the drive-through or something. Like maybe mm. tried to make it, yeah, and he had absolutely no recollection whatsoever of how he got there. He so couldn't remember. Weird. Well, it's kind of interesting because we talked about the effects also of Xanax, and I'm sure she put an overdose uh, or, you know, a yeah. lot in, but people were quick to say like, oh, you'd remember. And other people yeah. said, no, no, there's sometimes you actually don't remember. Yeah. We're going to assume that she put enough into his drink, but he was actually uh, prosecuted, charged and convicted of DUIs. And he was um, not intoxicated on any type of alcohol. So they were going to arrest Melissa at this point anyway. But the event that triggered the arrest is also one of those that you just have to question. And this one is really leaves me asking why. On April 10th, Melissa calls Sandra Cantu's mother. I'm sorry, how long after was this? Okay, so March 27th okay. is when Sandra, so this mm. is two weeks. They didn't solve, obviously they didn't arrest Melissa yet. Or but they're on to her okay. and, they're going to, and they're definitely going to arrest her. They're collecting the evidence mm-hmm. building case, okay? But no one else knows. So Sandra's mother does not know what's going on, mm-hmm. and neither does anyone else in the community. They're keeping this tight-lipped. On April 10th, Melissa calls Sandra's mother and asks if her other daughter can come over to spend time with Madison, her daughter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Madison isn't home at the time. And how do we know that? Thankfully, the police were surveilling Melissa and listening. And on April 10th, Sandra's sister, luckily, was not there. <laughs> So Melissa was going to do the same thing to her sister? Well, that's the question. What? We don't know what what was the purpose of her asking for If know, the daughter had been there, maybe it's like I'm I'm upset my friend's gone. I want but her daughter wasn't even there. So her daughter wasn't there and that's the and it wasn't anywhere near the home and wasn't going wow. to be. So, so the, the police were like that's So the real concern is here was she going to do something to her? Yeah. Or it could have been, you know, Huckabee was panicking. Did she want to pump her for information? Like, what's going on with your sister's case? What does your mother know? 
How yeah. old was that daughter? Was she also quite young? She was also young. I don't yeah. know what the age okay. difference was. The police are then like, you know, we've got to act. Yeah. So they arrest Melissa because they are just like, we're not taking any chances yeah. with any other child's life. That was the right call. So they arrest Melissa on April 10th and they sit her down for an interview. And she talks without a lawyer. Or I'm always surprised when people talk without a lawyer, I guess, because mm. I just, you know, I just assume that at this point people know to ask for a mm. lawyer. But Melissa says no problem. And at first she sits down and denies that she did anything to Sandra. Absolutely not. Then the police tell her that they have statements from the couple mm-hmm. who saw her at the irrigation pond. And Melissa becomes hysterical, crying and explaining that the whole thing was a big accident. <laughs> How was it an accident, you might ask, Amy? Mm -hmm. Was that your next question? Yes. Okay. So she says that her daughter and Sandra were playing hide and seek. And Sandra got into the suitcase and her daughter must have closed her in or Sandra was able to close herself in. And Sandra suffocated to death in the suitcase. Okay. Does she think the police don't know about her injuries? I mean, come on. She, so she's saying suffocated. And, and so she says she panicked because she knew everyone would be mad and she wasn't supervising. And she, you know, she was the bad mom in this case. So she basically panicked and she threw Sandra's body over or into the irrigation pond. But they have enough evidence at yeah. this point to show that this really isn't true. They also found, so when they went through her apartment, they were easily able to connect her to the note. So they found like the same notepad that she wrote it from, <laughs> the imprints on it. She also wrote some other weird things, like everything will get better. Some some other odd notes that she wrote it, but you know, the quote was something like, You definitely didn't need to call in a handwriting expert analyst or like analyst just, on this yeah. one. It was very, very easy. They also found, which I thought was interesting, computer searches on her laptop. You know, people like, you know, Google is mm-hmm. track trackable, but they found these searches about a murder. She had saved an article where a suitcase was used to get rid of a body. So, so this is, they're, they're going, not only did this happen, but this is It was is premeditated. Real, yeah, this is yeah. real premeditation now because that was a search from a while back. They are developing, or they've developed, I would say, what I would call pretty overwhelming evidence mm-hmm. against her. And she's already admitted to, you know, having something to do yeah. with this crime. So Melissa winds up being represented by a public defender. I, I think the plan was to go to trial. However, Melissa winds up pleading guilty to the murder of Sandra Cantu in exchange for a life sentence. Is it a death penalty state? Absolutely. Oh. The part of the plea deal that was appealing was that the death penalty is taken off the table and Melissa will not plead guilty to sexually assaulting Sandra. Why? She insisted she would never admit that she sexually assaulted Sandra. She, she still she, denies that? Absolutely. She insisted that was entirely untrue. And she stands by her story of the hide and seek. So I'll talk about what she said and in her apology and her Mm -hmm. sentencing hearing. As I understand it, she did not necessarily offer a new story, but did seem to admit that she did something bad without giving the details. So there's no way to deny that this girl was sexually assaulted, though. So I looked into that because I was thinking that like maybe maybe she really wasn't. Like, is it possible she had contusions from being molested you know what i'm saying it It is possible however i'm going to say i wasn't going to say this but i will um the rolling pin that they found had her blood on it and it was bent in such a way that corresponded to the abrasions and and injuries in her genital area so it seemed there was no question that the medical examiner seemed very very certain that she was sexually assaulted all right it left very little room Mm -hmm. 
So, but what are what are the reasons why she might insist? So I looked into this because I can come up with two reasons in my mind why she would, would not uh, admit to mm-hmm. sexual assault. First of all, I'm just thinking she doesn't want to admit it because she's ashamed. As she should be. As she should <laughs> yeah. be. But she also has, she has parents. She yeah. has siblings. She has a grandfather as a pastor and she has a daughter. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, you know, part shameful. Mm-hmm. And there's even more of a stigma on women who commit these types of crimes against children. Mm-hmm. The second reason, though, I think is more of a practical one. What, when you're in prison, if you're a child molester, then you're at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, right? that's yep. that's the practical reason. She may have yeah. recognized pretty quickly and also from being jailed oh, because yeah. she was in jail. Remember, she didn't get bail. She stayed in jail. It's bad enough killing a child. You put molestation on there, forget about it. You're, she would get killed. It is rough in prison for any sex offender. That is the worst of the worst. And she was also very unstable in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, depression. You know, she wasn't sort of this strong outside alpha type of personality she seemed almost just fragile or fragile is not the right word but you know what i mean so yeah Yeah. so i'm gonna say that she went with the practical reason there so what happens is there's no trial because huckabee is admitting to guilt which i think thank god for the family they don't need to relive that i think so yeah yeah i think it would have been really difficult and i think everyone was probably glad Mm -hmm. uh, although i think they were annoyed that Melissa wouldn't take full responsibility. Also, they probably would have preferred the death penalty. Is there, I you know, I wonder. Met, I yeah. actually don't recall hearing their preference on whether or not. I am sure that the prosecutor went to them, though, and gave them the, uh, or not the option, yeah. but the prosecutors will often of consult the family. And in this case, I'm sure they asked if this was preferable. Of course. There was a sentencing hearing, and it was very emotional. There were, I think, Sandra's aunt was there, and she played like a video montage of Sandra mm. with some music, and There wasn't a dry eye in the court. Let's put it that way. Melissa also opted to give a statement. Now, Melissa didn't have to give a statement if she didn't want to. She's getting a life sentence Mm -hmm. no matter what. She gave about, I would encourage people to go on and look at the sentencing too because there's an arraignment that there's video of online and then there's a sentencing. And Melissa gave a very tearful, I would say, I don't know, maybe five minute Mm -hmm. statement. And in her statement, she apologized directly to the Cantu family. She was crying the entire time. She, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, you could tell it was an emotional time for her. She apologized, though, but she said even in her statement that she did not sexually assault Sandra and that Sandra did not suffer. And so I think it was, I think they were incensed by that. She also went on to say, I think what the Cantu family was hoping was they, that she would say why, you Mm -hmm. know, I think they just wanted to know why did this happen? And so she went on at the very end to say that she still could not understand why she did what she did. And she wished she could offer them an explanation, but she just could not. Okay. Well, that's a lie. Why? Maybe she's just snapped. Has like, you know, people do things that they're like, holy shit, how did I do that? You know, who knows? Could be that she just but had she a mental break. She hasn't admitted the truth about what she did. So oh, that's, that's part true. it negates yeah, that's that true. to me. No, you know? you're right. You're I right. Mean, if she committed a sexual assault but went to say, I did not do this, so I can't explain what I did. Yeah. It's obviously still in some part a lie. Yeah. No, that you're right. We also had uh, a couple of people speak out like, you know, who knew Melissa. So what 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 happened? Yeah. There were a lot of different things. So Melissa, as I described the the instability. Her ex-husband said that she was not violent and he actually was very surprised that this happened. He said she was depressed and she had a Mm -hmm. terrible self-image. News reports also came from relatives of Melissa's. So her uncle spoke out, her aunt spoke out, and her parents did an interview as well. And they, I mean, they described a pretty normal Melissa until high school. Melissa, you don't know when she's telling the truth or not because she has a history of lying Mm -hmm. here. However, most of her friends and most of her family members 
recall the exact story that she told them of being raped by a police officer. She did actually file charges, so mm-hmm. we did see that. It was verified by uh, one of the news stories mm-hmm. and reporters who went to Orange County. There were charges that were filed, and they were dismissed. So by most accounts, her behavior did change and was a lot more erratic and unstable after her 18th birthday. Well, you said she was diagnosed with bipolar? She was diagnosed with bipolar That was after she was 18? This was after, correct. But the family did note, and some of her friends from childhood did note, that Melissa had periods of depression before. But a depressed person doesn't do what she did. No. So it doesn't fit the profile. It does not fit the profiles. And her husband said, again, she was depressed and could be negative self-image, but wasn't a violent person. Most people said Melissa wasn't violent. And Mm. most people said she was a loving mother. Although there was one or two reports I saw, and keep this in mind, that said her daughter was sick a lot. Okay. Keep it in mind, because now we're going to talk. I think I've covered the elements of the case, the Mm -hmm. investigation, what happened to her. Now is where I really want to dig in and talk motivation. Okay. So there were allegations that Melissa may have suffered from Munchausen by proxy. Okay. And inserting herself into the investigation may have been a symptom of it. What is Munchausen by proxy? Okay. So Munchausen is when you make yourself sick to draw Mm -hmm. attention onto yourself. Munchausen by proxy is when you make someone else sick or you do something to someone else to Mm -hmm. draw attention to yourself. Mm -hmm. Usually Munchausen by proxy involves a mother making her child sick to get attention. Like in the um, Blanchard, uh, what is her name? Oh, yeah. The Gypsy Rose Uh, Yeah, Gypsy Rose. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So that's a classic Munchausen by proxy. So. That's why I said, keep in mind, her daughter was sick a lot and someone said was at the doctor's a lot more. There were no no allegations, no charges mm-hmm. there, but just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So Melissa had a history of mental illness. She set fires. Mm-hmm. According to the prosecutor, he said that he believed her finding the note and reporting the suitcases stolen was a ploy for attention. Like she wanted to be the one to solve this. Okay. And she also had a history of cutting. Mm-hmm. I saw that she had a history of suicide attempts, though I did not see when and what the, the methods of suicide mm-hmm. were. So she's clearly marked by instability. I'm going to go criminologist on this one and disagree. I don't think this is Munchausen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know enough about her daughter's background. So if I found out that her daughter was, in fact, hospitalized a number of times Mm -hmm. for serious conditions and Melissa was given a lot of attention, I might go with the agreement here. But I'm going to go with two different criminological theories, unless you have something before I go. Nope. You go. All right. And then I want to know if you agree, disagree, would add to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So first explanation, most friends and family reported that Melissa went went off track following her senior year, which mm-hmm. is consistent with Melissa's story that she was raped. Mm-hmm. And if if this was true and her rapist was exonerated, this would have left Melissa with some very, I would say, strong feelings of stress and anger. Mm-hmm. So in our field, we talk about strain theory mm-hmm. and strain theory for people who don't know, it means that someone experiences such a stressor in such a way when they don't have the coping skills that help deal with the event in a healthy way and the ability to process, they turn to offending. And it's possible that's what Melissa did. This is obviously not by any measure a common response to sexual assault and what victims do, but it is a means or it can be a, a response to offend in different ways if you do not have the ability to cope with what has happened mm-hmm. to you. But like, I, I think you kind of touched on it. I okay. would agree, except for the fact that she went really big really fast, right? So I know she had minor crimes, but it seems like to deal with strain, killing a child, like, well, but she didn't go big, go fast. She yeah. was testing it out. Yeah, Remember, she, I guess. she drugged her boyfriend. She's planning. Yeah. She's, she's you know, looking at, I mean, she didn't go, it wasn't the emotional reaction per yeah. se, but it seems like 
she was looking for an outlet. She's yeah. testing it out on this other girl giving her drugs. Yeah. This is just one possible mm-hmm. explanation related to criminological theory that people will have certain events that impact them so severely mm-hmm. that they will turn out and they will re- they will offend against others as a means to deal with stress. All right, so I'm going to go to second explanation, which I actually, my second explanation also relates to criminological theory. And I think this one is the stronger one. I would say the second explanation relates to a theory called control balance theory. Mm-hmm. And this refers to the idea that someone will commit crimes if they feel a loss of control or if they have too much control. So it's too little or too much control, which Mm -hmm. is like an imbalance in their life. When people have a lot of control to exercise, they usually commit crimes of greed, Mm -hmm. right? So like greedy corporate executives who have no oversight. But in cases where people feel very powerless and where they're not in control, They commit predatory crimes Mm -hmm. such as sexual assault, and it's a method to gain power back. And I actually think that Melissa may have taken her anger out on Sandra for this reason. I think she committed crimes, predatory crimes, because of her lack of control and the way she felt powerless in her Mm -hmm. own life. And I think her choice of victims relates more to their vulnerability and also the opportunity for her. Mm -hmm. So people might say, why young girls? Well, these young girls would trust her. They would easily yeah. go with her. Also, females, as a practical consideration, do not have the same, not always have the same physical strength as males. So mm-hmm. she's using smaller, you know, younger, vulnerable victims who she can physically also manage. So I would say those, that's how her, she selected her victims. Mm-hmm. It was by opportunity and by physical. Yeah. That's, the, that's the reason I don't think her choice of victims, and I think that has anything question. to do with I don't it. think her choice but of victims. But why sexually assault why not just kill her? Well, because that's a predatory crime, the sexual assault. You know, when yeah. people sexually rape is about it's just a control power thing. and control. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when Tittle, ex- so it's it's Charles Tittle explains yeah. his theory of control balance. It's all about gaining control and power yeah, back. It's so, not satisfying a sexual need. And it's I actually about think, in fairness, Amy, I don't actually think the I don't think the intention or the need was to murder her. I think that the sexual assault was the primary crime, and I think the murder was probably the way to cover it up. Yeah. No, I think those are valid theories. The only other thing that came to mind was social bond a little bit because it seemed like she had trouble with attachment, commitment, involvement, right? So we know that in social bond theory, people that do not have strong bonds to, I guess, pro-social institutions Mm -hmm. or people, right? So it sounds like she... But she had family. She had a daughter. She had a church. She was, I guess, yeah. but she, you know, she was bouncing around with jobs and it seems like she with relationships. So I, I definitely don't think there's as strong. And then, of course, there's attachment theory, which you could look at a little bit, but it sounds like it doesn't fit that well. This one is a head scratcher for me. Uh, it's a head scratcher for <laughs> it me. It really is not a I also, clean cut. I also went to, you know, she was diagnosed with bipolar. I saw another diagnosis that said she had schizophrenia. I don't know if that part is actually true. There I mean, she much. never said I did it because, you know, she never gives an explanation. Did they even talk about like insanity or incompetence at all? Or? Yes, yeah. they found her competent. Mm-hmm. But they also talked about, um, uh, well, and no, they didn't really talk about it. But I think from the beginning also when I was explaining her patterns and her Sounds like borderline personality yeah. to me. So mm-hmm. she's a borderline to me. Unstable yeah. relationships, highs and lows back and forth, which is very borderline personality is oftentimes confused with bipolar disorder. The two can be and can have very similar symptoms. But so, they don't often escalate to violence. No, this is a rare case. Yeah. And and again, I would never want to imply that a rape victim will usually respond by raping oh, yeah. someone else. That is yeah. not characteristic. That no. is not the truth. But this is one of those extreme situations. Mm-hmm. 
So for me, I think that I think that Huckabee suffered a lot. I mean, obviously, she was mentally ill, but I really think that she felt out of control and mm-hmm. powerless and committed a predatory crime and then tried to cover it up mm-hmm. with the murder. And no possibility of parole for her. So there's going to be no possibility yep. of parole for her. So the sentence is is probably appropriate. I uh, full, uh, full on agree with that sentence. I wonder if Sandra Cantu's family agrees with that sentence. I hope they at least have some, you know, the peace of knowing that their daughter's murderer was caught and she will never, yeah. ever get to spend a day with her own yeah. daughter. And you'll see a lot of times victims' families actually don't advocate for the death penalty. It's not going to bring back their loved one. Right. And they realize that. Well, that is everything we have for today. I know right. this one was a real, um, yeah. this one was a tough one, but yeah. I'm glad we dug into it yeah. and tried to look at the root causes. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, and Megan. We'll see you next time. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Our music is composed by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, you can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include The Daily Beast, People Magazine, and ABC News. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.